All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the Eric Roberts Fitness Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest on that it's somebody I've, I mean, literally since I started training, since I started working out, I've been following this guy. And I, I got very lucky in that aspect because with today's day and age of social media and so much information on the internet, there's so much stuff out there. But I got lucky in the sense that for whatever reason, God let me stumble across uh, Matt, Matt Jansen here. And he puts out some of the best content that I, I mean, I've ever seen. And I got off on the right foot because I started following this guy. So he, he he's very near and dear to my heart. Honestly, he, I look up to him. He's, he's one of the, I mean, if not the top, one of the top level coaches in the industry we have right now. And, and, and Matt, I'm super happy to have you on, man. Thank you, man. That, that really means a lot to me because at the end of the day, the, the impact that I can help make in people's lives is really what it's all about, you know? So, um, I try to, you know, even with like these podcasts, like I always want to make sure that I'm available for these, you know, because it, to, to me, I, I, I'll never forget that feeling that I felt when I was, when I was young, when I was 19, when I was 20 and I was so hungry for information. And I always want to be that guy that, that gives back to whoever I can, you know, so whether that was you following me like way back when, um, and then now that like you have a successful business, I have a successful business, you know, six years down the road, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, like like I said, like I started following you when, I, when you probably had like, you know, 10, 15,000 followers. And I was like, this guy's huge. This guy knows what he's talking about. He trains, obviously, top-level athletes. And it's just like, but, I mean, I've seen the, the, the growth from you having 10,000 Instagram followers to coaching some people to now having over 100,000 and having a full sustainable business. So, like, just very quickly starting off, like, can you kind of take us through that, like, evolution of Matt Jansen and just kind of, like, how, how it started and how you got to where you're at now? Sure, sure. I, um, you want me to go back as far as like when I was a kid or, or start? Yeah, with- yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, as far as me growing up, um, I was always an athlete growing up. My mom always, I, I like to tell this story for several reasons, but my mom always tells a story that basically I was always attracted to gaining muscle and, you know, bodybuilding. And we always used to go into the store. She would go shop and I'd go to the magazine section. She'd always come pick me up and I'd always have a, a muscular development or a flex magazine in my hands like at the age of seven. You know, so this was like always something that was like a part of like me. Um, obviously, my my main goal, my main direction at that time was to play collegiate soccer. Uh, so that's what I focused on. At uh, in seventh grade, my dad and I started working out, and our he got me a gym and and uh, a few pieces for our basement. So we started training in our basement, um, and and also at that same time, I I just went started out at a new school. Um, and I met one of my best friends that I'm still best friends with to this day. And actually he's coming over to train after we get off of this. Um, so anyway, Jim Haymore was extremely advanced for not only his education and bodybuilding because of his father. Um, but also he was like a, he's like a year and a half older than me. So even though we were in the same grade, like just development wise, he was just ahead. Um, so he kind of like really taught me a lot at that point. Um, we actually, in eighth grade, all of eighth grade year, we did Leo Costa's Titan method, which if you're not familiar with that, that is basically what Scott Stevenson's programming is based off of. Um, so that being said, it was probably one of the best developed programs that I still agree with to this day. Um, I was just way underdeveloped my maturation level as a lifter. My lifting age was nowhere near the point to really be able to execute the, the, the program properly. Um, but I, but I like to give that story because that's kind of like my initial training philosophies and, and what I believed about training was very sound from the start due to the people that I had in my life. Um, so that kind of, tra- you know, transcends into high school years. And, and I lifted as a bodybuilder 
um, again, within these Titan philosophies all throughout high school. But for me, um, I was often playing travel ball and high school ball at the same time. Um, so it might have been that I only got to lift like three days a week or, you know, something like that. And then there was, you know, some seasons where I was playing soccer and basketball at the same time. So, I, you know, like it, bodybuilding was seasonal for me. Um, so anyway, I did end up going to college to play soccer. I got injured my freshman year. And uh, that's when I really kind of just started to really fall in love with the gym because I still was extremely competitive and I wasn't able to channel that competitive outlet on the field. So I just channeled it in the gym. Um, I finished out my freshman year on the team, but because of the concussions that I had, my allotted hours of training every week were, were spent in the gym because I wasn't allowed to have contact. Um, and then from there, I just fully, you know, invested myself in bodybuilding my sophomore year. So that's kind of how I initially got my start. Um, the second thing that, you know, there's, there's kind of three things that I really want to give credit to here. The second thing is um, my initial crop of athletes. I, I lived in Georgia at the time. I'm, I'm now back in Georgia in the same area, but my initial crop of athletes, three people were extremely good. So I, I couldn't have been given a better start. And that's really where my name came from is, is the fact that I was, I wasn't coaching people that I was having to do massive transformations with. I was coaching people that were literally were on the brink of success as it is. And, and I kind of just helped turn the page for them. So um, my first three clients that I worked with, two are now IFBB pros. The other is a natural pro. The two IFBB pros I helped them attain their pro card, the natural pro, uh, he ended up going pro with Alberto Nunez. Uh, but I'm saying all that to say like that you could tell the, the potential of these people that I worked with initially. So that was basically my start as a coach. Um, and then, and then that kind of continued and grew throughout college. I just helped people more locally. Um, I got involved with a company called the strength guys out of Canada. Um, I was getting fed clients from them in 2012. I, I graduated um, I did my, uh, my uh, degrees in exercise science. I went to the University of Kentucky, and what, my internship was with them and their strength and conditioning program, um, which was another you know, dream come true to me. That was something that I, like, I really wanted to do. My, my initial goal, like, even through college, it was never to be a physique coach. It was always to be a, a strength and conditioning coach at the collegiate or professional level. So, um, but through my experience at the University of Kentucky, that's when I kind of realized that Regardless of what I do, what regardless of what avenue I channel this in, ultimately it falls on me. Um, so I needed, I, like, I, I, I thrive under pressure, um, and I'd rather, you know, my success or failure be on me rather than somebody making a decision over me. Um, so that's when I really started to channel myself more into coaching. Um, my wife and I got married in 2012. I moved up to Kentucky full time at that point. And I like to give this story, too, because uh, not to give myself credit, but more so when I'm speaking to younger guys, um, don't count on bodybuilding to give you your financial uh, freedom. You know, and I think uh, more than bodybuilding success, financial freedom is, is huge. Um, my dad, I, I, I always want to thank my parents for instilling a, a very strong work ethic in me. So when my wife and I got married, I moved to Kentucky simply because she had a job at the University of Kentucky. I didn't have a job. I was coaching some people, but it wasn't enough to keep us afloat. And I also, you know, basically my, my upbringing was if you don't have a job and you're the man of the household, you need to get a job. So the first job that I got as I, um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this or not, but um, I was friends with, and I actually trained in Georgia, the president of Ted's Montana Grill. So there's a Ted's in Kentucky. Um, I was a janitor of Ted's. I, I cleaned the restaurant every morning. I did the food prep before the restaurant opened. 
And that was my first job as now a, a graduate with a degree in exercise science. So I'm saying all that to say, like, you guys, you know, like, so many bodybuilders are fixed in this bubble that if you can't do something within the bodybuilding realm, well, oh, well, I'm just not going to work or, oh, it's just not for me, you know, like, and, and you got to be able to work your way through this whole process. So I did that for a few months. Um, and then I, I, I then went on to, I was the personal training manager at LA Fitness. I did that for about three months. During this whole time, I continued to build up my client base on my own. And after three months there, I, you know, my wife and I had, I had a discussion that I was basically uh, financially stable enough to be able to go off on my own. And then, so then now we're talking 2013, I fully went off on my own as a coach. Um, and that was really, uh, you know, the start of it all for me. Um, the, the last person, and there's so many people I can give credit to, but the next really big stepping stone for me was while I was in Kentucky, one day I was on the muscular development forums and they were talking about like hardcore gyms and the thread was like hardcore gyms in the Southeast or something like that. And, and Justin Compton was in the thread and he said, um, you know, I train at Forge gym in Lexington. It's one of the best gyms in the, in the U S I, at that point had never even heard of Forge, even though I lived in Lexington. So I actually messaged Justin and said, Hey man, like, I know that I'm not at your level. Um, but would you allow me to train with you? And he said, absolutely. So the first time we trained together, we trained legs. He was six weeks out of the Chicago Pro, um, and uh, that was his pro debut. And that's kind of, you know, the next big stepping stone for me was uh, Justin and I became very good friends. He entrusted me with a lot of his, um, you know, being his second eye. I coached him for a little bit, um, and then he also brought Dallas McCarver to me, and then, you know, kind of the rest is history from there. So, Yeah, there, there's there's so much to unpack there, but one of the things that I that I love is that yeah, you wanted to be a bodybuilder, like, yeah, this and that, but you had to work, like you had to make a living, you you had to make money and, and you you weren't like, so I don't want to, I don't know if stuck up is the right word, but it's like, no, I'm going to do what I have to do to to live, to survive, to to make a living for my family. And that's like, that's one of the things that w within like this whole bodybuilding kind of world, it's like most people don't do that. So like huge, huge credit to you for that. And, yeah. and beyond that, like, I want to dive into to some of those training philosophies more because one thing that that I I mean like I said I I've, I've followed you since I mean we, we've already talked about this but the the one thing I got from you is like more is not always more and I don't want to put words in your mouth but I I think I, I know that Dorian had a had a big trying to kind of influence on your training and like you've already mentioned some people so can you kind of like dive into some of the training philosophies as far as like more is not always better, if, if that makes sense. Right, right. Um, so again, like my, my background is in uh, exercise science. That's what, you know, I learned. What's what's so frustrating to me, and, and if I could get anything across to you guys, it would be to learn from my mistakes. Um, so I went, I literally, I went to school to learn proper education of how to train properly, all right? Um, but because I was kind of like inundated in the bodybuilding subculture, and I loved everything about bodybuilding, I was really distracted or persuaded to go into more of like the, you know, the current bodybuilding media training philosophies. So even though I had a very sound uh, education in programming and periodization and, you know, and work rate versus recovery variables and all those types of things, I would, you know, I went off and I veered off track for a few years um, to thinking like, you know, this more is better and four sets of 15 to failure on every exercise. And, you know, so, so for, for a period of time, basically from 2012 to 2000, end of 2014, I, I didn't make any progress at all. 
Um, you know, and it was simply because like I was just abandoning the, the truths that I knew for this sensationalism of, of what I thought bodybuilding was. Um, and it kind of took me re bringing that back in. So early 2015, um, actually not early, uh, after the Arnold classic, Justin and I prepped for the Arnold classic. Um, this is one of my favorite bodybuilding stories, but we prepped for the Arnold classic together in 2015. We started 12 weeks out. He trained seven days a week. Um, I only missed two sessions with him. One of those was because I was on vacation. The other one was because it snowed and I couldn't get to him. But he literally, the guy was a machine. Um, now, granted, do I think that that was the best approach for him in hindsight? Maybe not, but it doesn't matter. What he accomplished was incredible. Um, so anyway, we trained seven days a week. After that, um, I, you know, I needed to kind of, uh, not that we disconnected at all. We were still great friends, but I wasn't making the trip every day to train with him or vice versa. So I started really digging into, okay, what is my, what is my real belief system on training? Going back to my, you know, my books in college, the NSDA books that I had and, you know, my CSDS studies and, and things like that. And then kind of really bringing and honing that in with, okay, let's look at, uh, you know, applicable bodybuilding. Um, and I studied a lot of Dante stuff. I studied a lot of Dorian Yates stuff. And that's when I really started to make progress. And I've, and I've not, I've had little distractions here and there, but I've really not swayed from that philosophy ever since. Um, you know, basically, essentially of my biggest belief system is that load is the driver of hypertrophy, um, increasing load over time, whether you want to call it load, whether you want to call it increasing tension, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and within that rest is a, is a huge variable to progress. Um, so those are kind of the two things that my, my philosophy is built around. Obviously I, I train hard. Um, I, I don't believe that unless you're in the genetic elite, that a lot of submaximal work yields progress. Um, and that's something that I've seen time and time again. And that's, I think that's one of the most argued points um, within training right now, you know, we could have four different coaches on here and that we'd all have four different philosophies on that. But what I've personally seen in myself and my athletes is, is the more they're centering around training to failure within a true structure, um, the better the progress is for those people. Yeah. And, and there's, I have some other follow-up questions, but one thing you just said was you train hard. And, and I think that when when some of these people listening hear this, they don't really know what training hard means because in this, and this is going to be my next question, but I'm just going to dive into it because in this world of like orange theory hit classes or in this world of like, you know, these, these circuit style training, shorter rest periods, da, 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 it's like, what, what, do, what does Matt Jansen say that training harder is? Because I think that most people think that, oh, if I'm out of breath, if I'm sweaty, if, if I'm shorting my rest periods, I'm really working hard. But what does that actually entail from somebody who is accomplished as you? Well, okay. So I actually, I, um, I had somebody last week message me and ask me, actually a few times over this uh, coronavirus restriction period, ask me about, hey, how can I mentally train myself to, to work harder? Um, and I could, I'm going to go into kind of a longer discussion here. But um, yep. one of the things that... Uh, I, I, I kind of really started to think about this question. And, and I think for a lot of coaches, it's a blanket statement of, oh, you're either born with hard work or you're not, or you're either mentally tough or you're not. And, and I don't believe that. I, I think we've all had a defining moment in our life, maybe several defining moments in our life. And I'm not talking about training here. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about um, 
whether it was your upbringing, whether it was challenges within your upbringing, whether it was athletics, whether it was being in a situation that you didn't want to be in. Um, I think we've all had challenging things within our life that have shaped our mental capacity. Okay. So when it goes to how do we translate that into the gym, I think you need to kind of take your mind back to those challenges that you went through and what that environment felt like for you. All right. Um, now again, I understand that we're not all athletes. I think this is easier to train or, or teach this to athletes because if, if you're an athlete, especially if you competed in high school, you've been pushed hopefully to failure and you know what failure feels like in some capacity. Um, if you aren't an athlete, what I would suggest that you guys do is you need to find a way to replicate failure in a form that's safe for you. So I would suggest initially doing this with body weight. Um, and, and by body weight, I mean getting on a bike and, and truly taking a, a bike sprint to pure exhaustion, um, you know, getting on a, a finding a hill and, and running a hill to, you know, to pure exhaustion, obviously over time, um, because what, what my consideration is within training hard is that uh, training is a skill. OK, so before you learn the skill of being able to mentally push yourself, you need to be confident within something that isn't so skill set as training because now not only do you have your body weight but you have something pushing against your body weight so i would learn how to properly reach a failure set point within a body weight movement um and, and it needs to be hard it needs to be challenging i'm not saying body weight squats you're going to be squatting all day I'm, I'm talking about something that's very challenging and then once you learn that and again you, you kind of capture that moment and what that moment feels like for you then transition that into okay i know what this moment feels like how do i replicate this in training um, and, and of course, body part by body part, it's going to be different. You know, like I take a set of, of bicep curls to failure and I take a set of squats to failure and the, the accumulative effect after those two sets are nothing like each other. But yet I've both taken that moment, that movement as far as I can, you know. So, again, it just comes down to how do you get there? You know, so I think, again, training age, if you're younger, I wouldn't overly emphasize training to failure right away. I think mechanics um, within your movements are more important. I also think that uh, I'm a huge believer in, in repetition over time. You know, so if you are younger, rep, repetition to me is more important than hitting true failure. Uh, the more versed you are in repetition, the more confident you are in repetition the easier it's going to be to then translate that to failure over time. Um, so that's something else that's uh, that's important to me. So this is kind of a – we could talk about this for an hour alone, but yeah. um, hopefully some of that helps. Like you need, to, you need to find a way to be confident and comfortable within what a failure set point looks like before you replicate that in a gym environment with weight on your back um, because then that's a whole other variable altogether. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that because that's something you can immediately – Practi practically put into place like today like actually what is it and what is a failure point go out and it's raining right now where i am but like go out and do it right so I, I absolutely love that the next thing you hit on was again something that especially i think like the the general population is kind of swayed on is like is resting and you said that if you have to you work hard but then you rest can you can you dive into how, how important rest actually is, because I don't think people, they think like, I need to work harder, work harder, work harder. And that's, and that's sure. great. But if you can't recover from that session, this is, this is something I took from you specifically. Like if you can't recover from that, then there's no use for it. Right. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions within training is that 
we as a trainee, we need to recover to be able to do, and, and people view this as success, the same amount of work over and over. Okay. So, you know, if you went in Monday and you bench pressed 225 for 10, as long as you can go in the next Monday and bench press 225 for 10 again, then you're recovered. Okay. To me, in my opinion, to some extent, you are still under recovered. And, and maybe the Monday to Monday was a bad example because that's seven days you should be recovered in there. But when you go from, from training one body part, the next time you train that body part, your ability to progress within that body part in some way, shape, or form should be there. Um, and maybe not in a session-to-session -session basis, but definitely over a month-to-month -month basis. Okay, so if you – I think tracking – I don't think that tracking your workouts is the end-all, be-all, that it's like life or death because there's, there's more variables that need to be taken into consideration there. But in general, you should have a very good scope of, okay, in January, I lifted this. In February, I lifted this. In March, I lifted this. If you look back over those three months and you're lifting the same thing over the past three months, you're doing something wrong, okay? You're either under-training, you're under-recovering, you're under-eating, you're, 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 or you're, all three are off. So within that, um, when my purpose and, and my thought process is our recovery should be in place for us to allow us to do a greater amount of work than we did in the previous session. Okay, that, that either can be an increase in reps at the same weight, that can be an increase in load for the same reps as the previous week, that could be reducing um, or increasing the time under that load, whether you, you know, you're slow, your tempo, um, something within those variables should be progressing on a month or, or, or every other month basis, depending if you're natural enhanced. There's a lot of things we can talk about. So, um, I guess in, in short, when you're viewing your rest, your rest should allow you to be able to increase your work efforts. And if, if, you're, if you're not able to increase your work efforts, then you're not resting enough. Or another variable, it could be, this is the thing, it could be hydration, it could be sleep quality, it could be undernutrition. You know, there's a lot of things, but, um, and, and that to me is all encompassing within rest. You know, every variable of that plan needs to be on point. Um, to make sure that you're progressing. Um, but again, to kind of reiterate that, like you need to be able to do a greater amount of work than previous. Now, if you're viewing that in a scope of a month, I think that's a good period. Um, you know, look at, look at the winter and then look at the summer. Like, where are you at? If you're, if you're lifting the same weights, like something has got to change, you know? Yeah, no, I, the, you, you hit on the head right there. It's, it's perfect. And I, I just want to get a very quick question in how many days, does Matt Jansen train right now? So right now, um, and I've kind of uh, really thought this out and paid attention to my recovery. I do, um, I train, uh, I train, or well, actually I'll start with an off day. Okay, so day one is off. Okay, day two is legs. Day three is off. Day four is push. Day five is pull. Day six is off. And then I start it over again. So, I'm basically, I'm resting before and after legs, and then I train two days on, and then I have another day off, and then I go back to legs. So in, in a four, in a, in a seven-day span, that's four days, right? Yeah. Three days. So, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that's something, that's something I kind of want to hit on, because I think that people hear like, oh, you only train three days out of seven days, like, or, or you only train four days out of seven days. Like, what, what are you doing? And I don't think people understand that it, it's not about how many days you train that's obviously one thing but like what are you doing in those days that are that are 
leading to your progress? Like, could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. On my off days or on my training days? Both, both. I mean, because I I just think that people think that they need to be training four or five, six days a week or it's not worth it. Right. Um, So, again, going back to the previous question of progress, like I'm basing my rest days on the fact that this is what I think is going to be best to yield the best progress in the gym. Because if I'm not progressing in the gym, then it defeats the purpose for me. That's what it's about. Um, so, and, and to kind of give you guys a story and make this applicable again to our restriction over the past eight weeks and, and what we've gone through as a country, I, um, and this is, again, I want to be transparent about where I made mistakes. So January, February, I was very fatigued. Um, and I just, I think I've honestly been fatigued for years and I, and I didn't even, even within me continuing to put rest as a, um, something that is a a primary variable for me within my training. Um, I just, I felt like I was always tired. Um, and you know, I'd wake up in the morning tired. I feel like I could take a nap every day kind of thing. So anyway, uh, the second week of March comes and, you know, we're, we're placed under restriction and, and my wife and I are just kind of really trying to follow the guidelines of the government, you know, because we have family, we have elderly family, you know, like we just want to do the best that we can for our family. So I noticed from week one, week one to week three, I didn't have access to a gym. And over that time of those three weeks off, I just felt like every day I was having more and more energy. Now, obviously, to some extent, you're like, well, yeah, duh, you're not training. Like, that makes sense. But really, like, by the third week and then from from week four to week six, I was only training three days a week. Like, all those all those feelings of being fatigued and being tired and feeling the need to take a nap and, like, it was all gone, you know? So now I'm like, oh, maybe something's not wrong with me or, you know, like, so – I, uh, I mean, even during this period, I got a sleep test done because I wanted to make sure that, they, you know, there wasn't a sleep apnea issue and all these things, um, which I do have mild sleep apnea, but that's besides the point. Um, so anyway, I'm saying all this to say is that I really realized over the past six weeks of this restriction due to the coronavirus that even though I was prioritizing rest, I still was holding too much training fatigue on a weekly basis, Okay. Um, so that's, that's really what led into my decision-making progress process of my current split. Um, obviously I carry the most fatigue around training, uh, training legs. So that's why I wanted to go into legs being rested and I wanted to come out of legs being rested. Um, and also to, to get a little bit more frequency within my, my strength movements and my pulls, I'm putting RDLs on my leg day, which is obviously it's going to encompass your back as well. So then I also wanted to put a rest to make sure that because I'm training legs, I have a day off and then I'm training back. So I wanted some rest variable there. Um, so really, guys, and again, I'm, I've had skin in the game now since I was 13 years old. And I, and, I, and I said that initial story about my training philosophy at 13 because I think it's important. Like I wasn't just going into the gym and winging it at 13. I was following one of the best training philosophies, I think, that are still present today. So what I'm saying is. I've been training 17 years and I'm still learning more about my body. I'm still making mistakes. Um, but, and, and the mistakes are good. Failure is good. It's, it's about how we respond to that environment and the changes that we make. If, if I realized that I was tired and I realized how much energy I gained from, you know, this restriction period, and then I went back into doing the exact same thing that I did, that point of learning that was completely null and void. If you don't make a change, you know, so that's why I've gone into this new period of, okay, I'm going to really hone into 
how much fatigue accumulation am I building up within my training cycle week to week, you know, from week one to week three, how much more tired am I in week three? And then from week three to week five, how much more tired am I in week five? Um, you know, and then, and then the next question I think that can go into this is like when to implement deloads and, and how to do that, um, which we can talk about, but that's, to me, that's what's so important. So, so what am I doing on my rest days? I do some active recovery on my rest day. And, and to me, active recovery is just some motion that's not, um, overly demanding. So I make sure I keep some steady state cardio in my, in, on my off day to facilitate recovery. Um, I do some active stretching to facilitate recovery. Again, I'm not like the, the end all be all on mobility. I'm terrible at it. You know, so I'm not acting like I, you know, you guys can come to me and I can tell you everything and there is to know about it. But what I'm saying is I'm making a conscious effort to do some mobility work. Um, and then I'm also just making sure that, uh, again, within this period that I'm more active with my family at night, you know, so like just trying to be a little bit more mobile on my off days um, to then help my training days. Yeah. And, and you, all that was amazing. And you just hit on something that I was going to hit on was it's not just training from stress. It's, it's training from everything. You have two kids, you have a family, you have a wife, like you might not get the best sleep some nights because your kids are up. And like, I, I think that that plays into it because it's not just about what are you doing with your training? It's what else is going on in your life? Because again, if, if you have a family, if you have a job, if, if you have all these things, there's so many things that come into play that make this recovery factor uh, a lot more prevalent than, than one would think. And, and I can attest to this too, because I just ended – all this stuff started. I was an in-person coach, and, and that just ended. But I would wake up at 3.30 and not go to bed till 10 that night. And I was training all day. I was still training six days a week for me. And, like, I didn't realize how fatigued I was until now I've backed it down to four days a week. I'm not training in person 12 hours a day, and I, all my lifts are going up. I just deadlifted 500 pounds. Like, I feel better. My back feels great. And, like, all that stuff is, is coming on. But – Again, I've backed down my training days, and I've also backed down my activity level, but I'm feeling so much better. So I think sure. that you hit on, a, hit on a point that's so prevalent that a lot of people can take is because sometimes just backing off the gas just a bit is, is I think, important. And, and I actually do want to ask you – you brought it up, but I do want to ask about deload weeks very very quickly because I don't think that, again, the, the general population is like, what what is a deload week? Why, why would I take a week off of – not a week off, but a week of lesser intensity? Wouldn't that – not get me closer to my goal. So could you talk about that just very quickly? Sure. sure. Again, and this is something else that I've been like, um, so initially, uh, my, my thought process on deloads was that the, I just don't like them. I'm, I'm not going to do them. Um, and then I, I matured a little bit to my next thought process of, I still don't like deloads, but I, I noticed that I need to be more recovered than I am. So my thought process then was, I'm not going to train. I'm just going to take extended days off from the gym, which I still am a big believer in. Um, and then now through, again, this kind of restriction period and, and overlooking it again. So one component within deloads is, is the amount of volume that you're doing either per week or per session. Um, obviously, the, the other component is intensity. And when I say intensity, I mean weight on the bar. Um, and then obviously the other one is effort. Okay. So then that means how much you're putting into the weight on the bar. Um, so within that being said, my, my thought process now, again, in terms of accumulating fatigue across a training cycle is when I, and, and being very cognizant of my fatigue levels, my goal within a deload is to keep intensity on a bar high. 
um, but to reduce total volume within the session. Um, so because the reason why I initially never liked deloads and, and I've, and I spent a lot of time, um, this was 2011, 2010 powerlifting. Um, so within that, you know, the deload was a very important part of my training cycle. I always felt like I came out of a deload worse. Um, and I think the reason was because like, um, I felt like I was under training my mind. So that way I came back in and, and the, the heavy loads then, or the heavier loads felt overly heavy. Okay. So that's why I was like, man, this isn't for me, this deload stuff. Like, I feel like I'm making myself worse. So those of you guys that have that thought process, I too was once there. Um, so now when I look at a deload, I'm looking at how can I further recover? Um, so I'm basically taking my volume back. And, and what I mean by that is just simplified. If, if I am doing within a workout, if I do a top set of a heavy weight, um, and then I do a back off set, or if I do a second set at that heavy weight, when I go into my deload week, I'm only simply going to do one top end heavy set, and then I'm going to move on. Okay. So basically if I'm taking my volume from two movements or two sets per exercise, I'm literally going to reduce it by 50% over the workout and just do one set per exercise. And I'm going to ride that out for a week. Okay. Now at the end of that week, if I still don't feel that my capabilities are where they need to be, then I'm going to go on and take an extended rest out of the gym. So I might, rather than taking the one day on, you know, basically how my split is now, I might take three consistent days off from the gym, then go back into the gym. For me, I, I've always noticed that if I just take days off from the gym, it doesn't, I, I go back into the gym and I feel strong. Um, if I take load off of the bar and I train with lighter loads for a week, I go back into the gym the next week and I feel weak. I just, that's how I've always been. So yeah. I think paying attention to your biofeedback um, and, and that's not to say that some people don't benefit from reducing loads on the bar because I, I think that they do. It's just that I'm not that person. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes total sense. And, and I, yeah, that, that's all there is to say on that. The next thing I want to cover is you, you always wear a shirt. You always wear a shirt and you have one that says consistency. And you always talk about, you, you have your saying that says, do the hard stuff, right? And it's like, can you talk about sticking to the fundamental basics. I know this is something you're big on because again, I, I'm inverse into your, your content, your world, but could you, could you talk a little bit about how important it is to stick to the basics within training with like basic movement patterns, basic lifts, because all these Instagram slideshow workouts and shit, like that's not actually going to yield progress in, in the way that I think most people want, if, right. if, that, if that makes sense. Um, you know, so, so speaking to you guys that, you know, maybe you have no, aspirations to be a bodybuilder you just want to be the best version of yourself or if you you know those types of people so uh, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions within um exercise media or whatever you want to call it is the fact that you have to constantly be changing things uh and, and that is again that's one of the biggest fallacies i think that's been portrayed by media and, and simply if we look at training as a skill um if we look at training as a sport uh, I want to relate it to something that's very, you know, uh, applicable and understandable to many people. Okay, so Tom Brady, I think, is in year 20 of his career. Um, he still is to this day throwing the same football, throwing the same patterns, throwing the same passes. Why is that? Because he still finds and feels that he can get better at those movement patterns. He can get better at those timing routes. He can get better at all those things. Okay, he's been doing it his whole life. All right. So now let's, let's take that. And, it, and I think this is where we get lost. Like training isn't just about creating a fatigue stimulus. Training is about 
improving within movement patterns. Training is about, if we view training as a performance-based skill, um, it really simplifies the whole process for us, okay? So we don't need this whole buffet of exercise selection. You know, pick out a few movements, get really good at them, get really strong at them. Um, if you, if you kind of can really hone in on a few movements per body part, I mean, you can get strong for years and years and years. But again, like I just said earlier, you know, for those of you guys that um, if you're not really monitoring your training and you're really documenting your training, I think a lot of you guys, it could hit you like a ton of bricks. Um, if you look back at your training, how long have you been lifting the same weight for the same amount of reps? Okay. That might partially be because you're not really paying attention. That might partially be because you're changing exercises so much that you're never getting the motor unit recruitment to get really good at them. Okay. So, you know, if one day you go in and bench press and the next day you go in and hammer incline press and the next day you're like, Oh, I'm going to pre-exhaust with some flies. Like there's no consistency to those patterns. All right. So find a consistent pattern. Um, now there's other, I, I could get really in depth here. I could talk about, you know, like what Louis Simmons has brought to training and what Louis Simmons has brought to, to bodybuilding through, you know, Russian, um, thought processes and, and how there is some importance to changing exercise selection. Um, but basically even within Louis system, he changed exercise selection every week for three weeks. And then that was a cyclical plan. Okay. So at most he was doing nine movements. Okay. But that was still cyclical. Um, you, it, I'm not saying you can only do a barbell bench press, but what I'm saying is find three movements, whether it's barbell bench press, incline bench press, hammer press, and get as strong as you possibly can at those. All right. Don't, don't think about anything else, you know? Um, and even for me, you know, if those of you guys that might not follow me, during this time period, um, I took it upon myself that I felt it was very important that I have a gym in my house um, because that's how I make my living. All right. So and, I, and I'm honestly so glad that I did because it's, it's brought back the true basics of training for me of of how much can I really do with a barbell? How much can I learn? How much can I improve with a barbell in my hands? Because I think when we go into a gym, regardless of how focused we are, like it's so easy to be distracted by, oh, that machine looks cool. And Oh, this piece looks cool. Oh, they just got this piece in the gym. Let's try this. But but why? Like, if it's not a part of your training process, if it's not a part of your programming, don't let that distract you. Just keep it over there. Let everybody else do it. And you just keep focusing on the progress you're making. Mm -hmm. You know? No, I, I I couldn't agree more. Because, again, just like, you know, be, being a coach and being in the, in that world, it's like people think that this muscle confusion is is like a real thing. You have to confuse your muscles. And it's like – no, your, your muscles know what's going on. Just keep getting stronger and you will keep making progress. So I, I thank you. Thank you for saying that. Best, because I The think best thing that you guys can do is find those little two and a half weights in the gym, the little ones, the little donuts, and add that to the bar every week. Add one of those to the bar every week and just watch what happens, okay? If you add two and a half pounds to the bar every week per side, that's five pounds a week. So that's 20 pounds a month, okay? That's incredible progress. If you're keeping your reps the same, and that, this is almost unrealistic, but I'm just trying to get you, you guys to, to wrap your mind around this. If you keep your reps the same, let's say six to eight reps, and you're able to add 20, 10 to 20 pounds of the bar every week or every month, okay? Let's go on the low end, five to 10 pounds a month. There's 12 months in a year. Do that Do that math, okay? You're, you're adding 60 pounds to the bar. Now, if you do that every year, five years down the road, that's 300 pounds, okay? Like, it's a lot of weight, you know? It's, it's, it's simple math. And, and, and you can't tell me that 
doing that, what you just said, adding 60 pounds is not going to change your physique because yeah, it will. Sure, for sure. Exactly. So I, I thank you so much for, for saying that. And to, um, the just, next again, just to kind of the skeptics that might be listening to this, there is 100% a, a, the reality of absolute strength, okay? If not, like we literally would be monsters crawling the earth. That, that's, <laughs> but again, for a lot of you guys that are, that are new to training or your training age isn't very you know, old. And what I mean by training age is how long you've been on a consistent plan. You can ride out this thought process of just simple progressive overload, simply adding two and a half pound plates a week to your numbers and you're going to be able to make you know extensive progress with that mm -hmm. yeah and and of course there's things to be said for you know training training adherence if you like doing some different movements that's okay but like picking those three moves like you said per body part and just kind of sticking to those and yeah maybe you can do an incline dumbbell curl instead of a standing dumbbell curl or something like that but as far as like your main movements sticking to them and just riding them out i think can yield so much more progress than people ever would think, especially within the mainstream media. Yeah. So I, I, I completely agree. Um, the next thing I want to kind of dive into is like, I, I know if, if people were going to your page, they would see you, you're a big dude. They would, they would see you training. You, you have Dallas's shirt behind you, like all that stuff. You train obviously big guys, but I also know you train incredibly in shape and, and amazing women. And, and the one thing I want to touch on is like, what have you seen been the biggest difference for training a male athlete versus training a female athlete? Like how does their body respond? What is their training volume? What does their nutrition look like? Like what have you seen just, just coaching those, those amazing women? So women, um, that's a great question. Women's ability to recover uh, from set to set, from workout to workout um, due to absolute strength and relative strength is, is much higher than men. Um, you know, I've seen some girls that they're, they literally, their ability to recover even within the most absolute brutal set you can think of, you know, two minutes later, they're like, okay, you know, like what's next. Um, whereas men, I, I think because of our body weight, because of the load on the bar, like we just simply, we're not as tough. We don't birth children. Like, 100%. you know, like it is what it is. Um, so their ability to recover, I do believe is higher. Um, as far as the, the most important factor that I think as a, you know, as somebody that might be a coach listening to this or a female that's, trying to be more aware about their body. Um, there has to be more of an intent on female metabolism. Um, and, and what I mean by that is you can run a, ma a male, a, a, a bodybuilder into the ground and you, you know, you really don't experience that many ramifications from it. I see it time and time again with women. Um, you can maybe run a girl into the ground one time uh, and then the negative ramifications from that are going to be huge. Um, you might honestly never lose the ramifications from that. Uh, and that's just me being real. So it, with a woman, you really have to prioritize um, overfeeding through periods of refeeds, through periods of um, diet breaks. I think that's very, very important for females. Um, and, and guys, when I say like, what I don't want you to take from this whole message is, oh, you don't need to be training as hard. You need to be resting more. You need to be refeeding. I'm saying all this within the context of working as hard as you can, okay? Um, so that being said, when you're working as hard as you can, that's when these periods of deloads and, and rest within your training cycles and properly planning out nutrition, that's when it really matters. But with females specifically, um, it's one of my greatest challenges and struggles with coaching women is um, whether I've made a mistake in the past or that person is coming to me from a previous coach, um, you know, trying to really get their body to continue to fire, uh, you know, and two, like 
That's why you see so many times, you see these women that just take off, road to stardom, and then they disappear and you never hear from them again. Um, I don't think that's because all of them all of a sudden, you know, overnight hate, hate physique sports or hate training. It's because simply their body was literally ran into a ground. The first time they ran into the ground, it was very responsive. So then they tried it again and you just hit a brick wall and you can't get through it. Um, and that's hard. It's hard for me to have these conversations with girls. You know, some girls I work with and like, it seems like nothing we do works. Um, overfeeding, underfeeding, rest breaks, periods of, of, you know, basically eating in a caloric surplus. Like it seems like nothing. We, we always get to the same sticking point. And that's because at some point their body was driven into the ground and their body at this point is literally refusing to go to that place again. Like it's just not allowing it. Um, and with men, I just don't see that. Like you can repeatedly, I'm not saying it's right. Um, but you can repeatedly just drive a guy into the ground and, and he's going to respond. You know, basically if you add in more work variables, if you pull food with a man, it's just, it's going to work, you know? Um, and that's why, I mean, that's not, a, that's not safe to say that's the right coaching philosophy, but it works. Yeah. And, and, and I think that what you just said is, is keeping that metabolism in mind. And, and again, realizing that, because I think a lot of, especially women think that like, they need to do cardio, they need to work out, they need, they need to run, they need to cut their calories, 1,200 calories only. And it's like, well, what are you really doing? Like, what is the – outside of that moment, what is the long-term effect that is going to happen? And I don't think that – especially women, again, just because I work with a ton of women, I, I don't think that most women think about that. So I, I appreciate you saying that and just reassuring that it's okay to slow down a little bit. It's okay to rest. It's okay to take a diet break. Like, it's okay to do these things, right? Yeah. And I, I would say, too, something I noticed with women, um, you know, within more just the general population women that I work with, I would even my wife, like um, my wife at one point, I think she had a tremendous poten potential and figure. But when we started prepping her um, and this is so common with girls, I think girls pretty much consistently under eat with periods of overfeeding. Um, so what I mean by that is they consistently under eat but then they're going to have their Frappuccino and then they're going to have chips and salsa in, in abundance at night. Okay. Um, so it's like, it's like you're getting two negatives there. So basically you're underfeeding your body all day long and then you're you're sabotaging yourself three to four times a week within the fact that your, your metabolism is undertrained as it is. Um, so oftentimes more often than not with females, when they come to me with their base diet of, of what they're consuming, I actually raise calories up. Um, and I get a response out of that because they're chronically under eating within these, these bad habits. And, and what does that response look like? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, so when, when I add the food, mm -hmm. that's like, so, so basically, you know, you get a lot of women and they're not happy with their body shape. They're holding fat. Um, and then, and then they have, you, you know, you, they're like, okay, you're like, okay, I want you to track your food for the next three days, whether that's, uh, you know, portion sizes in your hand, whether that's on a scale, whether that's measuring cups. And then they send you your diet, their diet, and it's like, like you're hardly eating, you know. So it's it's no wonder why you're holding fat because your body's like in starvation mode. But then I know you're having the Starbucks drinks and you might be having the margaritas on Friday night with your girlfriends or whatever. So like, you have to cancel both of those things out, and you, then you have to kind of ultimately bring calories up to then elicit a response from that. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Um, the the next thing I want to dive into is. Again, with this, the world of Instagram, the world of internet, everything, it's like, can you talk about, this is kind of like a two-part question, can you talk about what actually matters if you want to change the way you look? And then from that, 
if somebody has a body part they want to improve and not like, hey, I need to lose my stomach, like that's obviously diet, but if like, hey, I want to improve my delts, I want to improve my glutes, like what actually matters when it comes to changing your physique? And if you want to change an actual body part, what would that look like? Okay, well, you just reminded me, I didn't talk about consistency at all. Um, oh, basically, yeah. basically, this whole question revolves around consistency. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when you're wanting to change your physique, and this is this is where so many people, and I see it all the time from off seasons to contest preps, or I see it from um, going through periods of, man, I just, I just can't make progress, you know? And then all of a sudden, like they flip a switch and then it's like magic, you know, is it, is it really magic or are you just being adherent to all parts of your plan? Um, you know, so that to me is like consistency, especially I, I honestly, I would rather if I had to choose and I'm not saying I want to choose, but if I had to choose, I'd rather somebody be a hundred percent adherent to their diet and 80% adherent to their training. Um, than them be 100% adhered to their training and their diet be all over the place. Uh, because then what happens is you get frustrated by your lack of progress in the gym, even though you're giving 100% effort. But what you don't realize is it's not the gym that's holding you back. It's what you're doing with your nutrition. So that's why, I mean, and, and I know guys, like if, if you're not 100% on board with this, this is a hard concept, but like, that's why you have to give 100% to both. Um, you know, and, and two, Again, using this this restriction that we've been in, um, to me, honestly, I, I think this is week seven for me. Um, I feel like this is our new norm, you know, um, sa as sad it is to say, I, I, that's how I feel. And the reason why I feel that, that way is because that old adage of if you do things for 21 days consistently, it's going to become a habit to you. So like this feels like a habit to me. Um, and it's the same thing with nutrition, like give yourself a month, just like be perfect for a month. And if you're, if you're perfect for a month, going into month two, it's going to be so much easier because it's like your mind is already programmed to be perfect. So you're not going to have to kind of convince yourself every morning of, oh gosh, I got to do cardio or, oh, I got to eat rice and chicken again. Like by month two, like it should just be like, you know, fluid for you. Um, but it takes that hard period. Like for the first three weeks of this, I was scratching and clawing the walls, you know, like I was adherent because I believe that the government, I want to believe that the government is doing the right thing. Um, and I want to be a good citizen. But at the same time, you're like every day, you're like, holy cow, like this is Groundhog's Day all over again. And I think it's the same thing with people's diets is they, like that first three weeks is so hard. Um, if you can get over that mountaintop, if you can get over that hill of just being consistent within that first three weeks, it's going to turn into more of a lifestyle thing for you where then you're not going to want to go off plan. Um, and then the same thing for training, like within training, if you're really wanting to improve upon something again, within this thought process of what we talked about during this video, I would narrow down your exercise selection because the more, the more variables that you have to account for, um, the more then you have to figure out what's working and what's not. Um, and again, like, uh, to kind of segue this into if it fits your macros or a, a macro based diet with, with choices within that. That's sometimes, I'm not saying all times, but that's sometimes why I'm not the biggest fan of it is because you might have, especially people that take it to the extreme, you might have 50 different foods going into a diet in one day. Um, and then you're having to, to consider, you know, sodium fluctuations within that. You're having to consider digestive ability within those food sources. So it's not to say that you're not meeting your macro needs, but when it comes to okay, if that diet's not working, we now have 50 variables to consider as to why it's not working. 
Um, and that's the same thing with training. If you're constantly changing your training and your body parts not improving, we'll take out all those variables that are constantly changing, stick to the same variables. And then honestly, if you stick to the same variables and it still isn't working, at least you have three or four things that you're like, okay, this is only three or four things, you know, versus having 20 different things. And then you having to narrow down from 20. It's a lot easier to narrow down from four than it is from 20. Yeah, no, it, that's perfect. And, and the biggest thing again is, is what you said is it's, it's consistency. Like, yeah, like those three weeks of that diet are going to be tough, but if you can be consistent, yeah, you might, you might go over calories by 50 or you might have a, this food or that food. Like that's totally understandable. But if you can stay consistent through that narrow scope, I, I think that that's the biggest thing. It's like, yeah, you might, this might, might happen or that might happen, but as long as you keep that ride going, that's all that's going to matter. Right. Sure. Sure. Yes. So that, that, that is, I, I love that. So an, another one I want to segue into is like, just very generally, and, and this is, you can go as, as deep as you want, but like if somebody's getting into the gym and, and actually following a plan for the first time, not like, Hey, I've been doing Zumba classes and stuff, but like if they're actually trying to follow somewhat of a plan, what are some like just top of the mind things that come to your mind when, when, when you hear that happening? rephrase that question for me so if, if if someone's getting into the gym and actually following a, a structured program for the first time they're they're actually following hey i'm doing upper body lower body full body i'm doing some kind of structured program as opposed to just going in there willy-nilly okay like what do you what do you think is is some of the first kind of like key components to to making up and and, st and following that plan you, you're setting for yourself okay so um i think the first thing is that you're confident in what you're doing. Um, so it's one thing to have a plan, um, but it's also another thing to actually be confident in that plan. And I think, again, within this first three weeks of, of making a new habit, uh, confidence is a huge variable. So even if you have a plan, if you go into the gym and you, you look at your plan and you're like, oh, I don't know what half of this is, or I'm not confident in these movements, or, oh, there's a guy over there, I don't wanna go train next to that guy, or whatever it is, um, I would, I would have a, a plan within the plan. Okay. So what I would suggest that you guys do give yourself 10 minutes the night before, um, you know, the night before. Okay. Look at your, look at your training plan for the next day. Make sure you understand how to execute those movements. Um, if you don't know how to execute those movements, uh, look up on YouTube. There's great resources on YouTube about, you know, instructional videos on how to execute those movements. So, so know what you're doing. And then also have a plan B, you know, if, if you're, because I don't know what life is going to look like for the next several months, but I would assume eventually gyms are going to be busy again. Um, if you're on a time constraint and you're waiting on a piece of equipment and, you know, maybe somebody's on the squat rack for 20 minutes, you got to, you got to move on. Okay. So if you understand if you're working with a coach or if you, wherever you got that plan from, understand the, the X, the, the basically the plan of motion or what you're training if you're training glutes or if you're training something like that um, and it gives you, let's say a Bulgarian split squat and you don't have space to do a Bulgarian split squat, then understand that movement pattern to then be able to give yourself an alternate for that. Um, so I think it really just comes down to having a plan, understanding that plan, being confident in the plan, and then being able to, you know, role play off that plan. If everything doesn't go to perfection, um, that's what I would really focus on. And then again, just like, don't also another thing is too is don't overcommit. You know, if you, if you're if you're new to training, um, I would start out a plan that's three to four days a week. You know, maximize, get the most out of that three to four days. 
then add a fifth day. I wouldn't start out on a plan if you haven't ever stepped foot in the gym or if you haven't been on a consistent training program. Don't pick something that's six days a week. It's going to be very hard to adhere to, okay? Start on the lower end. Get confident on the lower end three to four days a week. And honestly, three to four days a week is mine all you need. You know, that might be all you need. Um, and then and then go from there. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I love that last part and, and all of it, but I do love that last part. Um, okay, cool. Kind of transitioning a bit here towards towards the latter half, but like – um. I want to talk about you just for a second because I've noticed, again, as just following you, that, again, you, you grew from however many Instagram followers to now over 100,000. It's like, when did you get this shift of like, hey, okay, like, you know, I'm doing this stuff on Instagram. This is, I'm kind of coaching people to like, no, this is my business. This is what I do. I also have a different you, – you have Revive. You have a different business there. Like, where, when did you make that shift mentally? Um, that's a really because, good because, question, man. Because uh, I, I, and, and again, I've, I've been in, I've been in your site. You have a site, you have content. Like when, when did that shift kind of happen for you? Cause I saw, I saw it in your content. Well, my shift, I would say, uh, the birth of my son, um, three things happened. I lost my brother passed away. Dallas passed away. And my son was born in three weeks. Um, that changed my life for forever. You know? So with those three things, like, um, I've never had the clarity of vision that I have since I've had my son, you know, and, and, and what I want to set up for our family, what I want to set up for my own legacy, how I want to raise him, how I want to be an example to him. Uh, so that was a big shift for me. Another shift uh, that took me a while to get, and, and if I could get this across to you, there's a, there's a coach that coaches personal trainers. He doesn't coach people. He coaches personal trainers. His name is Mark Coles, I believe. He's out of the UK. Um, and he posts all the time. He said he basically says, stop making content for your friends. Those are the people that are not, you know, they're not buying into whatever you're selling. Okay. So stop trying to impress your boys. Um, once I could really grasp that and I kind of like brought my level of content down to what people can understand and rather than trying to, you know, talk, talk to my, my guys, um, that really changed a lot for me there too. Uh, you know, so that, that I was, I mean, when I got Instagram, I think it was in 2013, <laughs> I honestly had no clue what it even was. And I would post random pictures on there. I thought it was like an extension of our camera roll. Okay. So then I start seeing people commenting on, on, I'm like, how are people seeing these pictures? You know, like I had no clue what it was. So I've, I've definitely come a long way. Um, also, I don't know if, how many people know this, but in 2016, my, I actually lost my Instagram. I know that, so yeah. my, my current Instagram has been built from June of 2016 through now. Um, I had 65,000 followers at the time. Everything was stolen from me. So that was kind of, that was also like uh, a reset button for me to really start to, to do everything based off of uh, my, my business. Um, obviously within my business, uh, I do my business for my family. So I still want to portray them. I, I'm not somebody that wants to keep my family life off of my, my social media. I just, I, I don't, I care too much about them for them not to be seen. Um, so that's obviously a part of it. Uh, and then just like, basically for you guys that are consistent with bodybuilding, for me, social media, like in order to be successful on social media, which is very much a part of our life now, you have to basically accept that you have to be just as consistent with it as every other variable within your life that you want to get something out of. Um, and, and once I grasped that as well, so like, I, you know, I purposely basically every day intend 
to put something of value up there. Um, you know, because I, that's what it's all about. You know, it's about creating trust within people. It's about creating relationships. It's about identifying with people. Um, so, so I, I prioritize that within my day, just like I prioritize my eating and I prioritize my training. It's, it's just a part of my day now. Yeah. And, and, and again, like I, I, I actually do remember now that you bring that up. I do remember that your, your shit got stolen. That was, that I wasn't funny, but I was like, it's funny that now you say that because I remember when that happened, I was like, where the fuck is Matt? Like what's, yeah. what's going on? So, uh, no, yeah. that I, I, I totally agree. And, and, and again, it's just a testament to how hard you've been able to build this and how hard you've been able to work. And, and it's amazing. And, and just wrapping up here, like where, where can people find you? What do you have going on? I know you have your, your website. I know you have the revive, like where, what, what, where can people find you at? So the easiest way to find me is Matt Jansen eight on Instagram. Um, my email, which you guys I like that. Sure. I just realized yeah. it's cool, man. Yeah. Um, my email is uh, Matt at camp dash Jansen.com. So that's that. Um, I'm actually in terms of my business plan. I I've again, through this period, I've, I've just kind of really dug into everything. I've, I've evaluated every part of my plan I'm going to be actually changing some of my business structure here soon. So I'm, I'm excited to announce that with you guys. Um, so I'm going to be revamping my website. Uh, I'm going to be doing some really cool stuff. So just be on the lookout for that because ultimately I want to uh, be able to diversify who I'm able to impact. Um, and I think that really, you know, again, as I get older, um, one, of, one of the most important things to me is impacting people's lives and also being able to impact my family's life. Um, so I need to have a business plan that allows me to do both and isn't so focused on one over the other. Um, so I'm excited to kind of, as this stuff rolls out over the next month to two months, I'm excited to share that with you guys and I'm going to be revamping my site, um, adding more to it, uh, and just going from there. So that those are the best ways to reach out to me. And, uh, I'm excited if you guys want to reach out to me for anything, feel free and I'll be happy to talk to you. That's, that's awesome, man. Well, Matt, like, again, this was like, I was so looking forward to this just because like, it's funny because I'm like, oh, I'll email him and see if he responds. I don't know. But it's it's so cool that you, that you do this for, for not only me, but just so many people like me that, that want to have you on and want to learn from you and have been following you and everything. So I, I really do appreciate it, man. And, and if, 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 there's, if there's anything else you want to say, please feel free. But if not, like, I appreciate you. And, and this has been an amazing hour and two minutes. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, dude, I, I appreciate you. You know, like it's, it goes both ways. Um, I'm not who I am without any of you guys, you know? So if you guys don't care about me or, or believe in me, then, then I'm literally sitting here doing nothing by myself. So, um, you know, the last thing I guess I could say is in terms of my coaching philosophy, I've always wanted to be more like um, the coaches within football and basketball that I look up to, you know, Bill Belichick is, is a, a great example. Like he's literally infiltrated his coaching philosophies within the entire NFL and now that's represented within so many organizations, you know, and that comes from him being passionate about something and then sharing his passion. Um, you know, so that to me is what it's all about. Like if, if I were to coach and stop coaching and then I didn't pass along my experiences and my education to anybody, then it's like, what was the point of all that? You know, um, so that's really my thought process and into, into why I love doing this and why I love connecting with people. And, and thank you. Like, I mean, just as like, you're happy that I answered my email. I was just as happy that you asked, you know? So, right. so thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think anyone who's listened for the past, you know, hour and three minutes now, like, I think we all thank you. And, and it's, it's been amazing, Matt. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate sure. it. Sure. Absolutely. Anytime. Awesome, man. Thank you so much.